1: I'm Adam McGee, and I'm Andrew Snyder, and you're listening to Caption Celluloid, and make time for this, proudly a part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. This time on the pod, we are going to talk about the recently released Air, the latest directorial effort from Ben Affleck, also starring Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Jason Bateman, Marlon Wayans, Chris Messina, Chris Tucker, and Viola Davis. Andrew Snyder, how are you
2: doing? I'm doing well. Um, I said that kind of in the same tenor that Jordan Tresky normally says it, so that was uh, an interesting wrinkle. Uh, I think we're all merging into one another um, from from all the time spent on Zooms and in person. But yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, excited to talk about a, a really fun movie, and that's the number one word that comes to my mind, or that was that came to my mind throughout my theater experience with me and probably five or six other senior citizens scattered across the the cinema.
1: Yeah. A very, very fun movie. A fun, mainstream, truly quite old-fashioned, you know, movie for for grown-ups. It's it's quite strange. It's quite puzzling. I mean the trailers just came out and I wasn't particularly convinced that this was going to be something good. Um, or that this was gonna be something that I would like. I got to see a preview screening of this quite a few weeks ago now, so this episode is going to test my memory. um, and I went in with very middling kind of expectations, if even that um might have helped to some degree that I was just kind of very very open to being pleasantly surprised by it, rather than going in with expectations of, oh, well, this is going to be truly fantastic. And having known the basics of the story already, having known the basics of a lot of the characters already, and that therefore meaning, I knew where this film was uh, using some creative license, I still had a thoroughly great time like one of the more fun times i've had in a movie in quite some time i laughed a lot i think this is a really really funny kind of broad comedy which i don't even think it's being talked about like that but i I think this is a comedy and i enjoyed it very much i strongly encourage you that the moment you could get to see it to go and see it and you did just that and here we are
2: yeah um I too had low expectations and it's probably because of the subject matter. And as a sports fan and someone that's seen documentaries on the subject or read articles, I probably was of the mind of like, this has been told in better ways that are better serving story. Why does this need to be made? I think I like Ben Affleck as a director more than you do based on previous conversations we've had. He's just kind of just like, he's fine is is kind of how i would describe it like argo is fine the town's fine Gom baby gone's fine and so with him at the helm i of of the mind that it's a safe pair, pair of hands but not something that's going to necessarily knock my socks off and i came away from this thinking it's his best movie that he's made um thoroughly enjoyable. I know Argo won best picture, but I, I had a much better time watching Air than I did watching Argo, as much as I think Argo's solid. Um but the I think the humor of it all is what really surprised me. And like you said, just the old school mainstream movie of it all. Like this is the kind of movie that you get together with your friends on a Friday night and like you just have a great time in the movies. It's a you know like a safe pair of hands directors, like I said, famous people uh telling uh a fun and interesting story and you just go in and you you laugh your ass off and there's you know there's affleck bateman and chris messina like bringing the the humor to the film and then matt damon and mile davis are the heart and bateman too to an extent and i think it just wraps it up into one complete package that's really accessible at a lot of different angles and and. Different types of people that like different types of movies can all take away something from it. Um, and I wasn't necessarily expecting that. I was probably expecting just to come out really disappointed, and I wasn't at all.
1: Yeah, it is the broad nature of it that I think is most interesting to me. And I think in some ways it makes it most worthwhile talking about here because I do think it could play with all kinds of audiences, probably because of what we do and the other podcasts we're a part of and the network we're a part of here. Our audience for this episode is likely even a little bit more attuned to the ins and outs of this story than the average viewer will be. But I fully believe they will have a fun time with it, and that beyond that, someone who really knows nothing about this would go in and enjoy themselves. Um, I guess that is something that Amazon bet on themselves ahead of time. This is something that originally they planned to release straight on Prime Video worldwide. They hold worldwide rights. This is very much Amazon's baby. And they made a decision, which is striking because they haven't done this in about four years, which is to send something theatrical only um, rather than day and date also landing on Prime. I believe the last time they did this for was Late Night. And Late Night, after pretty good festival reviews, was a significant bomb. And I think that probably affected the strategy up until this point. Um, I say bomb, it was made for not a lot of money. But I think there was an expectation it could break out and make some money. And the audience was not really there for it. Um, I, I think the decision to go theatrical like this is interesting for a few reasons. One... I mean, we're talking about it in the same week that Ted Sarandas has kind of doubled down that theatrical is not something Netflix are really interested or concerned about. I mean, it will play a part in their strategies as it has to for awards consideration and for them to appease um, many of the directors that they want to work with. But the reality is, even though we're seeing with a lot of the other studios with streaming services and with some of, I guess, the tech players like Amazon. I mean, Apple have never really kind of strayed away from this. They've always kind of leaned theatrical first for anything that they really were backing quite hard. Um, there's a shift. There's a shift to theatrical, and films are making money at the moment, which is exciting. It's encouraging. And I think a film like this coming along opens up a completely different avenue and maybe gets a type of viewer back into... A theater that hasn't been there for quite some time. But that in its own right is interesting. And I think it kind of speaks to maybe what Amazon recognized they had with this. Although the flip side of that is I would struggle to imagine a Ben Affleck directed Matt Damon starring movie just going straight to streaming anyway. Like it just it would feel like something that is an incredible wasted opportunity and in that regard, I guess it's a case of yeah, okay. Well, it shouldn't really be a shock that it ultimately landed where it did. I mean, I think Affleck's last
2: film—no,
1: mm, he was in Deep Water, and he was in Clerk since. Um, I think the last film he starred in was The Tender Bar, which was an Amazon film, which was directed by George Clooney, which went straight to Prime Video and didn't end up very well received. But they're names that I think still mean something that matter. Ben Affleck, Matt Damon. And I think even you can kind of trickle down this cast and with Viola Davis and Jason Bateman and Chris Tucker, you bring in kind of an extra layer of people, and layer of interest too. Do you think that's fair? If you were to speak anecdotally of people in your life, do you think that Affleck and Damon still hold some of the sway that I guess they built up going right back to Goodwill Hunting?
2: Uh, I'm not sure that they do with just like the average moviegoer, do they? I mean, I think uh, the the reason I think they do is because
1: we've had this conversation privately. I feel like it's ended up in some podcasts before this idea of. I don't want to say they don't make stars anymore, but they definitely make a lot fewer stars, movie stars and the true. This is an A-list movie star way. Those two guys were at that And I think in the final waves of that, like they are still, in a lot of ways, the most famous kind of people. It is, like I mentioned Clooney there, I mentioned Brad Pitt. It is people of that generation that still tend to kind of stand out as this is colossal movie star. And in a way that can be, it could be a part of IP, it could be kind of teaming up with a a high profile director that all almost works as IP, but they can also work outside of that and get at least some eyes as much as possible. That's kind of where I'm coming from at it. It's not that it's not that they're as dominant as they once were, but I just think, I don't know if the average person is really up on the modern alternatives because as things have got more spread out, um, I, d- I think people have found it tougher to keep a handle on it. And there is still something very much about, like, Matt Damon was Jason Bourne, for example. I, I think that works for people still.
2: Uh, yeah, I-, I guess in some cases, I guess what my rebuttal would be is that's not why people see movies as much anymore. And I think what Tom Cruise is doing is kind of just like an outlier to some of the other stars of his age. Because, like, I'm not sure... Matt Damon on a movie poster is really why anyone goes to a movie. Well, I mean, I guess the four years I ago, I don't know, Andrew. Which, I mean, Stillwater grossed nineteen million against a budget of twenty million. I mean, like if it's Ford versus Ferrari is probably the last time that he had a hit, which is four years, which is not a terribly long time. But like, I just don't know that people are banging down the doors to see Matt Damon movies. Are they like? I, I the last duel was breaking a bomb down too. The,
1: don't think anyone's breaking down the door to see any movie is kind of the problem. Like that—that's more where I'm coming at Exactly. It. But, but yeah. these are these are the last wave. These are the people that everyone knows from when that still was the case. I think is is kind of where I'd be at. Even like someone like Cruise, yeah, Cruise and Affleck are different. They're also very, I think, pronounced similarities. They've they've chosen to leverage what their fame was in different ways. Like Affleck becoming a director. Um, Cruz becoming a producer, and both of them kind of shaping their vision of what they would like Hollywood to be in their own way. But even like just on a fame level, like Ben Affleck, for all the tabloid reasons, whether it's Jennifer Lopez or Ana de Armas, is about as famous as like most actors still are. I I get your point, but I mean, that's the more grim conversation that we have all the time about. Well, yes, it is. <laughs> you know, does anyone care about any of this? I think as much as people care. Yeah, I think Matt Damon will still get, like, you know, I don't, just the average show's attention of, oh, there's a new Matt Damon movie. They may watch a trailer and be like, yeah, I don't care about that, but I think they'll watch the trailer.
2: Someone uh, at my level of movie fandom, definitely, you tell me that Affleck's directing Damon for the first time. I want to see that, of course. I mean, I'm someone, I don't know that we've ever had this conversation um, at all. But I love Goodwill Hunting. Like that's a nostalgic movie that for me just uh when I saw it at like ten years old, uh really landed with me. Um, so I'm excited to see the boys back at it.
1: I didn't see that movie at ten years old. I saw it considerably later, and so it's never landed with me in the same way. I think it's it's fine. It's kind of I don't know, it's this feels mean to it in some ways, but it's it's in a kind of you know Shawshank Redemption forest Gump zone over here. Forest Gump is maybe maybe harsh. Um, it's just it's like it's undeniable in terms of this is like what a casual movie goer is going to go is a modern classic. Like this is everyone knows this movie, everyone's seen it, kind of thing. Um And that's, it all that's it also feels how... very 90s, though, like it, it kind of it has a, a real clear age to it where it's not in any way timeless, which is part of why I'm kind of grouping with those other two movies. I feel very this is what movies were in the 90s, where I think there are 80s films and 2000s films that and 90s films for that matter, that kind of transcend that in a way that I think allows them to hold up a little bit better today, where if you didn't see them at the time or close to it, it doesn't feel quite as off, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. And and that's kind of just how I view Affleck as a director. Uh and I know he didn't direct uh good Will Hunting, that was Gus Van aunt, but just the ability to make something that you hardcore cinema goer can say, yeah, it's fine. That was good. And uh like everyday audience go to and and love it. I think there's there's some kind of sweet spot that he's hit there. Um that I think here is taken in I don't want to say a super elevated direction but it might be just like kind of a different wrinkle on what he's done before because of just how this steers into comedy so well and um, I guess we'll talk more about that later but yeah I mean Affleck and Damon just whether they're as popular I mean there could be as if you're saying this they're as popular as a movie star can be in this era and the last of a dying breed of this is a like like you said capital M movie star and they're going to be what sells the movie or, and they can carry a movie and take it to the box office so yeah that's a grim future conversation that we'll have in 10 years when you know chalamet is not necessarily popping off as this big box office darling but you know we'll see that when the time comes
1: I mean, that's probably a conversation for when Wonka comes out later in the year. But We're going to,
2: no, in 10 years, we're going to be talking about uh, Searsha and Chalamet getting the band back together. That's going to be...
1: Uh... Well, see, they're the example. They never have, they never have or never will be what Affleck and Damon were, in spite of being kind of the closest approximations. Now, they may not be the closest approximations, but they're in the mix. <laughs> like, they're... Yeah. They're, they're not completely out of that conversation. So that is a that is an example that is somewhat reflective.
2: But that could I'm come around again. I'm never not thinking about Sir Ronan, so that's probably part of that, Uh, why it popped into my brain there.
1: Well, w- one thing when you talk about, I, I think, the comedic elements of this, one, it feels odd to me that it's taken this long for Affleck to do something like this. And I both mean that as a director and a performer. Because we'll get to it a little bit later, but his performance steals the movie for me. It's just so, so good. It's so entertaining every time he's on screen. But it also just kind of more closely matches his vibe in a public persona way, not in the, you know, paparazzi shots of him looking very stressed out smoking outside Dunkin' Donuts, but in a, he's on a podcast, he's on a talk show and he's kind of, he's got good anecdotes. He's kind of friendly and affable. He's pretty funny. It taking this long for both him as a director and a performer. And I don't believe you saw the last jewel, which is not a funny film, but there's a very Affleck is very knowing in playing his character, like all the way dialed up in that film. In a way that becomes pretty funny, and in a way where you're like, Oh, has Affleck moved into the. I am going to be the crazy zany, like supporting character in this movie. And I'm going to come in here and I'm just going to, like, I'm going to empty the tank for one inning. I don't have to worry about any more than that. Which, honestly, he could have an incredible final phase of his career as an actor if that is the case. And now there's a couple of examples where it's like yeah well, maybe that is what he's he's game to do i mean that the other thing though this speaks to when you're talking about the ideas of or i guess what an affleck movie is and finding a sweet spot he wants to make 70s 80s mainstream hollywood cinema that's what he wants to make not necessarily the pinnacles of like new hollywood i think he just wants to make he wants to get to a place where his films are coming out and they're part of a wider kind of ecosystem that's pretty healthy. And yeah, there's a there's a good kind of mainstream drama out this week that everyone can go and see and enjoy. And there's a good mainstream studio comedy out this week that everyone can go and enjoy. And I think certainly for the industry's sake, as much as they turned their back on a lot of that, and I think part of that falls on exhibition too, That is that is needed. I mean, that is the balance that kind of would help to... It's a tide that would help to uh, raise all ships is the understanding that, OK, what happens when there isn't a dominant superhero movie or what happens if whatever piece of IP we want to rely on flops or interest and in that starts to wane, which is something we've seen more recently. And the answer is you need something to come in and offer what is now a fresh perspective as much as it is classical and old fashioned. This does that. What is maybe most interesting about this film, as we get into some of it, but also continue to talk around it and outside of it, um, this is the first film that has been produced by Artists' Equity, um, a new company co-founded by Affleck, by Damon, and Jerry Cardinale of Redbird Capital. Artists' Equity is something that Affleck has been doing the kind of the industry rounds, doing plenty of press to get the word out there. But essentially the kind of the long and the short of it is it is a production model and a production company that's committed to um, wide profit participation and profit sharing across cast and crew and crew being, I guess the most relevant part of that, because Sure, it's not unusual for actors to have points on a film and to take their share of the profits. It is certainly unusual for crew to have a share of that. So the idea, as the name would suggest, is to find a more equitable way all around of essentially rewarding all of the talent involved um, based on the success of the film. And with that in mind... I think air makes all the sense in the world. And if I could have one kind of criticism of the movie, it's that all of this was almost taking me out at a couple of points where I'm like, God, are we going to just stop in the middle here and have an artist equity commercial play in the theater just so that everyone really gets it. But as you eventually get to a point where Michael Jordan or indeed his mother are negotiating and trying to get a share of profits for him in what would become the Air Jordan sneaker? Um, there's some of it that is almost kind of winking at the camera, I think, just knowing the wider, the meta-textual elements. Now, the majority of people who see this probably won't know that. But what did what did you make of all of that? Or even if you want to start from the really zoomed-out perspective, what do you make of? Affleck and Damon setting out on this particular venture and trying to reshape the model of how Hollywood works.
2: Uh, I think it's this being you said it's the first uh feature they've put out. Yeah, Sorry. first first one. It really it makes sense as to why this story would resonate with them for that first venture. I don't know if you know, it obviously probably wasn't planned that way. It was just a project that got pushed to the front of the line. I think a lot of it probably has to do with it's a story tangentially about Michael Jordan, Air Jordans, and you got Viola Davis. And like you said, it's Affleck and Damon. So yeah, that's going to be something to push to the front of the line. I obviously did not do any digging into that backstory before I went to see it. So that was not not something at the forefront of my mind. But it, all, it obviously does come into play uh, once you've seen it and you know that. The idea of a disruptive... Force coming into an industry that's been set in its ways for so long, and is maybe changed into a, into a space that doesn't benefit the people that are really doing the work in terms of the actors, in this case, directors and the crew, like you said. So, uh, yeah, I, I I guess if you had that kind of backstory, you would feel like you were getting hit over the head with it. Um, but yeah, I I didn't really know that at the time but getting to the the second time i watched this and one thing i do want to say not to get full bill simmons voice but i think this is a movie that's going to be just incredibly rewatchable uh so i'll be interested to see how my perspective changes after having this conversation
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
3: are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.
1: Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I I mean, you can go full Bill Simmons voice. Actually, I haven't heard Simmons talk about this movie yet. I'm certain that has happened. I'd be very surprised if he doesn't like it. Maybe, like it seems like he would have had Affleck and Damon on. Maybe I just completely missed that. Maybe we were I'm... actually in Milwaukee at the time together, and I just missed that wave of, uh, Bill Simmons' talk. But it's something that, yes, that kind of personality and that kind of person is going to probably talk about for quite some time. And I think it's deserving of that. I will say there has been. Some interesting conversation. Um, I say interesting in part because I don't quite understand it. It puzzles me a little bit. I I don't know what everyone wants. (laughs) I just don't understand what people think movies are, can do, should do, how they work, and how all of that, I guess, fits into the wider world of storytelling and what's already out there. So, I mean, for example releasing air in 2023 there is one thing that is not in the too distant past that i think is pretty fresh in everyone's memory that is not about this story but is not completely removed from it either if i allude to it like that do you know what i'm talking about
2: uh if if you're saying uh let's see my, my thought would be name image and likeness for college athletes
1: No, no, I'm talking specifically about a piece of
2: content. Oh, a piece of content, The Last Dance.
1: Yes. So the Michael Jordan story has been told as definitively as Michael Jordan is going to let it be told for now. The part of his life that he is going to let be told and with his contributions to how he wants to shape that narrative and the mystique. The Last Dance was an absolute sensation right in the middle of COVID. I think not only did anyone who was remotely interested end up watching it, but you would have got a lot of people who probably had very little interest in basketball or sport, but they desperately wanted to watch something. Everyone was talking about it, and they watched The Last Dance. That is at this moment, like, that is Michael Jordan. That is Michael Jordan captured outside of game footage. That is what I think the legacy is going to be. That's how people are going to remember And return to him. With a figure like Jordan. There's room for so much more. And there could be. Depending on his willingness to participate. Or who decides to take up that story. In the years ahead. But I think for now. It's not controversial to say. The Last Dance is one of the definitive. Pieces of. I guess reflection and commentary. On Michael Jordan. His influence on American culture. His ability as a basketball player and what it meant to just be swept up in the world of Jordan from the mid eighties, true to, I guess the turn of the century. So it's with that in mind, I think the film makes a really smart decision, which is to just essentially leave us with the back of Michael Jordan's head, young Michael Jordan, to not make him a character that's speaking very actively. I think criticisms of this is like taking agency away from Michael Jordan. I I honestly don't know where to go with that, because I think part of the decision is to give agency to his parents and specifically to his mother, Dolores, which, again, do we want to parse through the, the exact details of what is real, what's not real here? I do believe the majority of that, though, is at least in spirit true to how kind of Jordan's very early career was managed, the influence of his mother, the influence of his parents. And I think there is something that is, one, a little bolder and more striking to do that. But it's also less distracting to me to have Michael Jordan as this looming figure who we're not going to see his face. We're not going to hear him talk all the time, as opposed to if you cast an actor and they have to be Michael Jordan. I think it's one of the greatest pitfalls the movie could have fallen into, I think it navigates it in a way that makes perfect sense. And I, I don't think we need to worry about whether air is empowering Michael Jordan with its depiction, because there are few people in the history of the planet who have had the opportunities and will continue to have the opportunities to go and get their story out there and have their say on things in the way that Michael Jordan has. And I think for the story being told here, which honestly... Jordan is a peripheral character. Like, he's the MacGuffin. <laughs> he's the MacGuffin as much as anything. I think it made sense. Uh, what was what was your reaction to that portrayal? I, I don't know if you've witnessed any of the discourse. You probably haven't because you, you're not like, I don't know, film sick like me that you just end up not avoiding any of this stuff. But what were your thoughts on how the film decided to frame Jordan and how this deal
2: came about? That was uh, one thing that was running through my mind that was going to be a question I had for anyone that's seen it while I was watching it. I saw the discourse that was taking place after just to get my answer to that question. First of all, based on what I've read in articles and and trusty old Wikipedia, is that Jordan met with Affleck and Damon, or was it just Affleck? I can't remember. I think at, here says says... Uh, Affleck, um, and gave his feedback on the current version of the script, and the idea that his parents would have bigger roles in the story was something that he, at the very least, endorsed. And now I'll, I'll uh, guess here, and I'm going to assume that he was more than okay with his role in this story being as cast to the side as it was a for he's probably done with that aspect of that's how he
1: that's how he operates the charlotte hornets right you know it's better than people just see his head they don't hear his voice i mean certainly for the outside looking in that that like i'm joking on that but that is actually also part of increasingly like the jordan mystique post-retirement is the idea of sure you might see him here or there but he's not he's not the michael jordan that he was in his in his heyday, in terms of everyone's access and availability to
2: Yeah, exactly. And so, I... I I can't imagine he thinks that the final product of this is his agency being taken away from him. Especially with the... Like, if you've seen his Hall of Fame speech, or The Last Dance, and you know the story about his father passing away, you know how much his parents mean to him, and how much of an influence they had on his life and his career. And then, so with all that factored in, uh... I, I think Viola Davis as Dolores Jordan also just lends instant credibility to that story mm-hmm. that you're telling and makes any kind of concern I would have about this not being quote unquote Michael Jordan story out, out of your mind. Because a it is and it isn't because it's about a market disruptor, which is his family and Nike uh uh the the upstart billion dollar company nike is they like to remind uh mind you throughout the film cuz the basketball division is, is not what we know it to be today they were a running shoe company uh but yeah i think it's it's something that some people would see as dist- distracting and i thought it was the right story choice to avoid making something that is lesser because of the challenge of okay you are michael jordan and like that's something that can just be even more distracting when it doesn't go well. And I think for all of those reasons, it was the right creative choice, and it, it really works in the final product.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that entirely, and you're right to bring up. Jordan does have a level of involvement here. Um, and it, it feels like, okay, there's a, there's a level of meaningful involvement, but it doesn't also... Again, maybe it's hard to reflect on him or his family poorly anyway, because it is not solely their story. And ultimately, the thing that they're fighting for, as much as it is motivated by, you know, their own personal desires, it proves to be a thing that is very important and a real positive for other athletes to follow after him. So viewing it through, I guess, um, the lens of hindsight, is very different even to in the moment being like, oh, this guy wants profit share; He wants percentage of the profit, which we get to see some of those kind of conversations play out within Nike in the film. But at this point, I mean, anyone who knows anything could be like, yeah, well, that was was a cool thing because what it led to is, and you could start listing off name after name after name at multitudes of different companies of people who got to have their own equivalent relationship to this. And it really did kind of revolutionize that industry. The other part of the discourse I want to touch on here is... I'm going to bear with me, Andrew. I've got to bring this into a direction that is also maybe maybe not necessarily quite as apparent, but it it does remind me of another film I saw recently too, a a film that has been doing very, very well. And I'm just somewhat... Anyone listening knows I I think very deeply and I care a lot about movies and I see as much as I can and then sometimes the conversation goes around the way and I'm just like I don't I just don't understand what what this is about what is the angst here I think energy gets focused in the wrong places to keep the focus on air first and foremost I I think there has been some critics who have voiced some discomfort at the fact that this is a movie about nike selling a shoe and as much as that in isolation may not kind of lead to some greater crisis of fate in what our modern entertainment is there is this increasing sense that everything is ip everything is ip and that increasingly, when it's become harder and harder to um either come up with winning bids for like the truly top tier intellectual property, that the result, what we've got is we've got a world where it's product. Product is now what we're going to see movies about. I think this is a really, really weird take. I think it's a really, really weird take. I don't think it's something people need to freak out about because you know what? I don't care. Make movies about product. Make movies about product. I don't care. It will be more original than a lot of what else is out there if people approach it in the right way. I think Air is an example of that. Air is an example of a movie that stands on its own two feet without necessarily being like, oh, I'm I'm just watching a 100-minute Nike commercial. That's not what's happening here. Some of this angst is definitely fueled by the upcoming summer release of Barbie, which, again, I think people should just back off, honestly shut up, and wait and see what Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach have cooked up with Barbie, because I'm guessing it's a whole lot smarter than just, oh, we're being sold Barbies. In fact, if anyone has done even the absolute bare minimum of reading, or you've watched the trailers or you have any sense of what that film is, it is operating on a very meta level that could kind of confront a lot of that head on. The film that's out at the moment that I think is really feel this in a way that I didn't understand is the Super Mario Brothers movie. A film that I saw probably a couple of weeks ago now. And am I the target audience for that film? Not really. I had heard a lot of the conversation, though, in part because this came out when we were in Milwaukee, so I didn't see it right when it came out. I listened to some podcasts, read some articles, and there seemed to just be this kind of existential dread sweeping across critics of this is what the films our children are going to see are now. There's nothing to this. There's nothing to this. It's just an ad for Nintendo. There is a there is a balance to all of this. There is a happy medium. I think the Super Mario Brothers movie was fine. I actually had a pretty good time, more so than I expected. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly kind of what that should be. I'm fine with that. Let's move on. Not everything is going to nor should be asked to be something exceptional that is working on multiple different levels for six year olds and for. 66 year olds all in attendance that's unrealistic and it would make the things that manage to do that all the less remarkable like uh, i i think there has to be a there has to be an understanding and a an openness to kind of get on board with well what do people like or what will people go to see and not necessarily just have a complete meltdown about that because yes it has changed it doesn't all have to be the end of the world, and I think particularly at a time when the movie industry is bouncing back a little bit, theaters are bouncing back a little bit. But honestly, it's still very, very precarious the the future of the medium in the form that it's. Uh, we could say it's kind of been in since its inception, but even that has already changed in recent years. So it's not quite the case. Movies need wins. They need wins and. A Super Mario Brothers movie that's like perfectly fine and to me is no less egregious than kind of any other Illumination animated film, like any of like whatever, by the time Minions comes out, like I I don't I don't know where the difference is there or why this would upset people so much. I think, you know what, that's good. Let's let's have all the cinemas make some money on that and everyone gets to, you know, the show gets to stay in the road. These places are open that they can show hopefully some smaller movies or just some kind of mid-tier studio films, depending on the type of theater it is. And there is a chance for the whole ecosystem to just remain afloat. I get that people have this great desire at times for like some sort of purity. Look around you, look around you at the world we live in. It doesn't exist. And so uh, that's an element of the, the conversation around this film that honestly I found strange and I, I think an example of a film that that criticism is is better levy that you haven't seen this to my knowledge unless you're really going to surprise me and you're crunching movies like this late at night but another recent release was Tetris the Apple TV Plus film um, which is essentially a Soviet like kind of spy corporate thriller about the deal for global rights for Tetris um, but if it is called Tetris and it's got these kind of cutesy animated Tetris like game sequences to transition you from place to place, scene to scene that kind of don't really fit in it in other ways. It's, uh, I found it pretty irritating to be honest. I think that's a more cynical use of that. Where you know what, a movie that's called the Super Mario Brothers movie, and you go in, you're like, oh, this is like Super Mario Brothers, and there's scenes that remind me of games. I think that's that's fair enough. Or if you go see a film called Air and you find out, it's about Eric Jordan, but it happens to be like a pretty broad, straight down the middle. Oh, comedy, drama, sports movie. I don't see the issue with that. So. I, I warned you, I warned you that I was going to go on a tangent there, but I do think. There seems to be some sort of kind of outcry in film circles. About basically every type of film that could come out and do well or be well received and what it might mean where I do think at a certain point, there's gotta be just a willingness to embrace a lot of that because we went also from a year or two ago, maybe that's the wrong, wrong timeline to put on it because of COVID, but we went from a place where it's like only Marvel makes money and people are freaking out about only Marvel makes money. To now, other kinds of IP make money and other studios make money and the knock-on effect of that, again, is there's a wider spread of the money available to studios, like across all of the different places. That should lead to more more varied, more interesting, more exciting films. doesn't necessarily have to. I understand that. But I, I just don't see the need to agonize over how do I feel that this is essentially a film about marketing and about marketing a shoe for one of the most successful clothing footwear companies in the world uh, for a company then that uh, if we, of course, if we want to dive deeper into Nike's practices and how many Nike shoes have been made over the years and what kind of conditions and all that, like it just, you will spiral and it will spiral. I think at the basic level of this movie is a movie about the making of Air Jordan. I That's kind of noteworthy. I don't see a problem with that. But it seems like the kind of thing that people get more on edge about now than ever
2: before. Uh, you know, when I was watching John Wick 4, Adam, I couldn't help but think I'm just being sold slim cut suits, 9 millimeters, and attack dogs. And it disgusted me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's how those people sound when they talk about uh, Barbie or Super Mario Brothers or Air that way. So, there we go. Um,
1: it's actually, like I don't know if you agree with this though too. There's something less kind of abrasive and galling about it to me than like covert but not, not so covert product placement, right? If you make the Super Mario Brothers movie, and I come out of it being like, damn, should I play a Switch and get loads of Mario games? Like, I, I walked into the Mario movie. That's that's what I'm there for, right? That's that's what's got to happen. I willingly did that, as opposed to, and it does happen, there's something I saw recently, it's not coming to my mind, but where the product placement was really, really jarring. I think that can be worse. That could be something that is much more troubling in that. That's more subliminal than letting people opt into, yeah, I want to go and see the movie about Air Jordans. And they might come out and be like, God, those Air Jordans really look good. You know, I should get myself a pair of those. Like, I, I think there's a different level to that. I don't know if you've any kind of feeling on that.
2: Yeah. I, I'm more troubled by the other options than the one that we're presented with here, especially in Air. Another part of that discourse that just is confusing to me is I think it at the very end spoilers I mean this is a true story it it celebrates what Michael Jordan did for athletes in taking agency over their own likeness and I think that's something that we're now seeing like change the game in in college sports it's there's there's not a might not be a straight line from Michael Jordan and Air Jordan and him getting presented to the shoes to college athletes can now make money off their own performance and their likeness, but there's something there. And so I didn't necessarily think I was being sold Nike as this like golden company that does everything right. And they're heroes or anything. I thought it was, I mean, at the end of the day, it's also just a movie and we should be able to form our own intelligent opinions about it without exactly. thinking that it's all some sort of conspiracy. Like, But that, nevertheless, I thought it was just a really fun movie about a fun story that also kind of changed the shoe market and changed the lives of athletes.
1: Pill Knight is literally the punchline of the movie as well.
2: And it's incredible.
1: <laughs> it's so, so good. It's so funny. Every time Affleck comes in, to do Phil Knight like that. It it, honestly, it's the performance that, you know, lots of directors have been looking for in trying to come up with their, you know, new age CEO in films that are about much more modern, like the, the next wave of CEO. But I feel like Affleck managed to do something that kind of, it bridges space and time where it's like, yeah, that was just as applicable to Phil Knight then as it would be to many CEOs and billionaires. Now, um okay let's let's talk a little bit about some of the performances and i guess some of the craft to finish up i want to start actually just by noting um this film is shot by legendary cinematographer um robert richardson frequent frequent dp of quentin tarantino of oliver stone worked with scorsese a lot in the kind of mid-2000s just one of one of the greats simple as that uh it looks phenomenal because it really commits to, okay, we're going to go for this retro look, which could get very annoying or very grating if it wasn't actually carried off in a way that starts to feel authentic as you watch it. And I did not find it annoying. I actually found it quite endearing, and I think that's a testament to Robert Richardson's cinematography, which I thought was really, really good. On to the cast, unless you have anything on that.
2: Uh, I don't know if you mentioned the music. That was another thing that I had heard on a podcast, some discourse on that. They were like, it just sounds like you're dropping in 80 songs every five minutes and it's grading. And I thought it ruled. It Uh, did rule.
0: You
2: you open a movie with money for nothing. You got my attention. They played two violent femme songs. Are you kidding me? Like I I was on board, but I just wanted to get that out there.
1: I, I guess the only thing that I thought about coming out of it was, yeah, that's an Amazon movie because you don't clear those songs that easily or you don't get like, what's the budget ultimately ended up at 70 to $90 million. I'm going to guess a significant share of that went on went on music rights, unless Amazon has ways around that through some of their own relationships for other services and products. Um, But that didn't take away from it for me at all. I mean, yeah, sure. It feels like he almost had a blank checkbook for that. So it gets a bit kind of jukeboxy. But I think the choices that were made by Affleck and I'm assuming his music supervisor were really, really good. So, yeah, I'll I'll get behind that. I'd actually it's something I had forgotten about. Again, this is why I need you to jog my memory because I hadn't remembered until you said it. And then, yeah, at the time, it's just like, whoa, it's another one and another one and another one.
2: We had a conversation in our discord about uh, Sting background vocals. And then, obviously, anytime I hear a Mark Knopfler guitar riff, I'm going to want to talk about that. So I, I've got you for that, Adam.
1: Um, Onto the cast. I will will just briefly do Affleck because we talked to him there. I mentioned it earlier. Just give me more of this, Ben Affleck. Just keep finding ways to do these kind of characters. And I think you'd quickly have a lot of great directors lining up and offering really good roles, too where he can come in and just kind of go absolutely crazy for 15 to 20 minutes, get out of there and, you know, maybe get an Oscar out of it or something like that, an acting Oscar. Um, I just, I laughed every time he was on screen. And I think that was really necessary in part because of how Damon plays Sonny Vaccaro, which is in a very Matt Damon, all-American bordering on squeaky clean way which anyone who knows anything about this story that is not Sonny Vaccaro and his character is infinitely more complicated than this film like makes him out to be. Now Vaccaro's also kind of positive impact on change also extends beyond this to the the Ed O'Brien case and I guess to ultimately where we end up today with college athletes um, but also there's a whole lot of other stuff that went on and right from I guess even the fact is the first scene of the film him in like a high school gym and he's giving out like sneakers and it's like yeah there's you could certainly spend more time there and interrogate a lot of that too um the film chooses not to but I think in making Sonny Vicaro something of a wholesome center you needed someone else who was really dialed up and I think they maybe did that with two characters but number one on the list was certainly Affleck's film
2: yeah, the, the Phil Knight uh, performance is hysterical. I mean, I've talked to a lot of CEOs in my career, Adam, and management, and there's just like a wavelength that a lot of them are on uh, that Affleck is tapping into here so perfectly. I have zero idea whether or not Phil, Phil Knight behaves this way. Uh, also, he's obviously... A much smaller guy than ben affleck from what we understand uh but for some reason affleck's uh physicality in the the track suits works really well for the type of ceo he's trying to portray the bumbling nature of him coming into the pitch meeting late trying to make himself seem important just tremendous uh damon esforgaro like you said not exactly telling the whole story there. If you want to learn the whole story, watch the 30 for 30 soul man, or there are a couple of books I think of, uh, that have Vicaro We've done fascinating guy, uh, complex character. There's obviously a lot of good that his influence on the shoe and basketball world did. And then, you know, just, uh, he's a human being. We all have our flaws, you know, and his was racking up gambling debts, I think.
1: <laughs> but I, I do think like as a narrative choice, it doesn't, It doesn't work against it, painting Vicaro the way they do. I think that is part of what anchors it, is this, like, again, right down the middle, pretty uncomplicated. Everyone can come in, have a laugh, enjoy this movie. Like, I I think that is a creative decision that actually pays off. Um, Even though I think if people who know nothing about it do some further reading, they'll be pretty surprised at Damon's Vicaro. And I mean, like, for someone like me or you, when I heard Matt Damon was playing Sonny Vaccaro when this film was announced, I was like, "What? How the hell is that gonna work?" Um, I I think something that's somewhat similar is Chris Messina as David Falk, and yeah. the David Falk scenes are hilarious, and he is so angry and so so foul mouthed, and his back and forths with Damon are just truly spectacular. I don't know if that is actually representative of David Falk. I. I'm sure there's some element to it. I mean, part of it just feels like how do you portray like a super agent in a in a movie? Um, that's kind of tied into that, like something that I guess is there's like a Jerry Maguire element of just history that's out there in the world that some of that you can't avoid. Um, the physical resemblance certainly isn't there. To my knowledge, unless there's some really young. David Folk photos that I haven't seen that are going to make me believe he looked even anything like Chris Messina. But again, I think for the shape of the film and for what you want to do with it, that character if not necessarily the person himself uh, works really, really well and is very, very effective.
2: Yeah, I thought um, Messina was tremendous. Another one of the, the characters around Matt Damon's like uh Wholesome, will call it, center, and Viola Davis, to a degree. Um, obviously, she's uh, the heart of the movie in many ways, along with, with Damon. And Messina just gets to stretch the boundaries of what you can say to another human being and just uh, paint a picture of what this type of person is, whether or not it's David Falk specifically. But this type of agent does exist. Uh, the, the part where he's on the phone with Damon and he's just ripped him a new one and said everything you could possibly say to another person and then Damon says or Vaccaro, played by Damon obviously uh says well what happens if we make a deal he goes then I'll be your best friend and that's just like the perfect encapsulation of like how these zero sum operators progress throughout the world does the deal make sense does the money make sense then fine all these terrible things i said to you i never said them we're good to go unless you cross me over at a certain point again then you're dead to me again it was great great phone movie just like guys having conversations over the phone in many different areas uh chris tucker who played howard white uh there's a a a vp with nike at the time and i think he's still a senior level executive with Air Jordan. If I believe I that's true, that. yeah. If I remembering that correctly, um, uh, <laughs> there was I need to make this joke out on on uh, on the podcast to be self indulgent, real quick. There was a scene where Chris Tucker uh, as Howard White is delivering some bad news to Matt Damon, and they're just like having this really kind of low key guys being dudes emotional conversation over the phone, and I was like, Adam, that's exactly. Uh, how it felt when I got off the bus at O'Hare Airport at my terminal. I was like, "Oh, yeah, great week. Gra- glad we met each other. Everything went perfect. All our teams won. This is eight years in the making. All right, have a going, bro." Uh, <laughs> that was kind of how that conversation went. So uh, I appreciated uh, Chris Tucker and Matt Damon for being able to re- recreate that energy.
1: What What more did you want for that? I thought that went well. I...
2: No, 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 no. I just no. It's just like me That's, standing. We, up at a we bus. need to unpack not, it. Not, no it's like me i don't do goodbye as well you know like you know if you not, can it, look walk... it was
1: like i had to stay on the bus you had to get off the bus it's yeah you know, it's not a it's not a, yeah. an easy kind of environment I, for this goodbye that you, you seem to want
2: i know i wanted a better speech for myself is what it was i okay. i just didn't have anything prepared it wasn't it wasn't you it was just a commentary on uh men and and how they interact with one another that's all and i saw it reflected back at me on screen so that, that was nice to see chris tucker perfect in this role as well great bit of casting uh so anyway
1: we'll work on that next time we'll work on the goodbye we'll say goodbye before we get on a bus if needed um just just to make sure that it it hits whatever it needs to hit Chris Tucker is fantastic in this movie he's very funny but also I think in a way that maybe is a little surprising I think a lot of just the quiet moments of heart are very much kind of there in his character and I think that's anchored to the real life character that he's playing and that is someone again who I believe Jordan had input in terms of how central a figure should be in the film Howard White um I I have Chris Tucker's filmography open in front of me here I want to I want to test you on it When do you think Chris Tucker's last film was 2019 It was Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk in 2016. Wow. When do you think his last film before that was?
2: I guess I have to guess really far back. 2012?
1: Correct. It was Silver Linings Playbook in 2012.
2: Yes, I remember him in that. Okay. When do you think his last film
1: before Silver Linings Playbook was?
2: 2007
1: correct which was rush hour Three, and at this point his previous film before that is rush hour two in 2001 rush hour in 1998 and before that to get back to honestly the last point where he was working like pretty regularly in films you go back to jackie brown in 1997 so wow his he's only had five films between jackie brown and air and three of those were the Rush Hour trilogy. I just... That's incredible. It's such a weird kind of career. For someone who... I, I guess it both feels right and wrong for. Like, when Rush Hour was a thing, it felt like Chris Tucker was, like, a big kind of cultural personality at the time. And then that went away, and it feels like, yeah, he's kind of went away. And then he shows up, you're like, oh, Chris Tucker. But I just thought that was really, really interesting um to look at, so... Yeah. Weird career. Good for him though. He's very good in it. Um I think that's pretty much it. Like Bateman was fantastic. I think he's he's giving you everything you expect from Jason Bateman. Viola Davis goes without saying, I think the tone in the film works because she has the gravity to to bring it to a slightly more serious place when needed. Uh Julius Tennan, who I don't believe I'm familiar with, who played James R. Jordan Sr. Really, really excellent too. Like I think as as a couple in the film, I think Dolores Jordan, James R. Jordan are exactly what they need to be. I just had a lot of fun with this. I'm very much looking forward to seeing it again. I would have liked to get to it again before this podcast, but it is something that when it lands on Prime, I will probably rewatch again that day. And if people are thinking, oh, I'd like to go see something, or maybe particularly if you are the kind of person who... You look every week and you're like, there are no movies for me anymore. This is it. This is the one. Go and see it. I think it's it's very much worth your time. And it's light. It's easy. I mean, you can only overcomplicate it if you so choose. And I think we've already outlined this episode. There is no good reason, not, in my opinion, to do that. But it's an incredibly funny mainstream film that I think honestly will play to a wide variety of ages. Across a wide variety of countries. And that is not all that common anymore.
2: I saw it in. In reality, Adam, I was going to see a movie alone on a Tuesday, was it? And me and like four separate groups of old women, I'm presuming to be in their 60s or 70s based on unfair assumptions uh, about appearances you know, have the free time during the day, just like me. And they and me were just all cackling and we all shared that moment together of bonding over uh air. And uh it really does appeal to everyone, Adam. So, you know, I I can say anecdotally, you're spot on.
1: I'm glad to hear it. All right, I think that does it for this episode. Make sure subscribers to, to us wherever you get your podcasts. That's at make time for this. You'll get all episodes of Pod where we talk films, TV, music, just general pop culture. It's it's off a grab bag. Who knows what we'll have next. Um, I don't think we've decided yet, but we'll work that one out and we'll we'll let you all know. You can also check us out on Repod. You go to joinrepod.com forward slash make time for this. That's the place to if you want to find a new podcast player a place you can listen to make time for this, the rest of the GSPN shows and all your other favorite podcasts, you can do so there. You can also drop into our rooms on Repod and leave comments on a given episode, share your thoughts on a movie. And just generally, if you want to go back and forth with Android, that's a place you can do it. You can also do that in the GSPN discord. If you go to gspn.info, that is our home for, I guess, the wider GSPN community and all things we cover books, brewers, packers, and indeed all things pop culture. YourSet Podcast Network, that's the main feed for all things Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks in the middle of their what will hopefully be a very long playoff run, having bounced back from an opening defeat. You're going to want to never miss an episode of the YourSet Podcast Network main feed. Cruising for brewing Brewsing, Andrew and I talk all things Milwaukee Brewers. The Brewers are tearing it up. If you're not on board already, now's the time to jump on board. And talking to Tundra, the home for all things Green Bay Packers. Time of year where everything starts to come into focus in the NBA or the NFL offseason even, not to go full tie windish and associate a different sport with Talk of the Tundra. Um, and Numak and Jordan will have all things Packers covered for you there. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew.
2: Thanks, Adam.